0: cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials
1: Hello and
2: welcome to an immemorium podcast for Bray Wyatt. Uh, there's been no announcement yet in terms of WWE's plans for a tribute show. We expect that to happen. It would be the correct thing to do, in my personal opinion. And it would feel incredibly insensitive to preview SmackDown when it really should feel like a Bray Wyatt tribute show. Um, overnight... We got the news directly from Triple H on X slash Twitter that Bray Wyatt um, has passed away. Um, He had suffered from a health issue that had been undisclosed um, just uh, presumably um, just ahead of WrestleMania up until the last few weeks when Fightful Select reported Um, like really tragically in retrospect that um, he had overcame it or he was, um, you know, doing a lot better. There were hopes that he could be cleared to make an in-ring return. Um, He apparently contracted COVID um, at some point earlier in this year. Um, He struggled with it. Um, It exacerbated a pre-existing heart issue and he suffered a heart attack yesterday and passed away. So we thought even if there was a SmackDown to preview... No one's, you know, ready to watch Mm. regular canonical WWE programming. So we expect a tribute show and it would be the right thing to do. And just in, you know, in light of everything, we thought it would be the best idea to pay tribute to Bray Wyatt's career. Um, We're going to go through the high points um, imminently. And we are also going to say that there were lows and it would be completely disingenuous to say that there were no low points. Um, especially if you're if you are a regular listener of this podcast, um, we don't want to insult your intelligence, we don't want to grift, we don't want to just say, you know, Bray Wyatt was, you know, had this incredibly illustrious career. There were several high points, which we will get into. Um, but it's I think it would be more insensitive to just pretend. Otherwise. Um, Hamlet and myself, we've said for, you know, several years of our podcasting career we're not the biggest fans of supernatural wrestling. Yeah. Um, but we will here celebrate the high points of Bray Wyatt's uneven but peaked very high, um, WWE career.
1: Um is that all right? Yeah, it's we never um didn't qualify, did we? The the people that liked Bray Wyatt's stuff. Loved it, adored it, well, that's what I was going to say, you know, like um, yeah. we you know that, can, you, that connection was
2: like undeniable, well, this is the thing, myself and Hamflet, if you've listened to us for the last several years that we've been incredibly fortunate enough, uh, we should as well mention Jesus that we are like heartbroken for the man's loved ones, and um, the tributes have poured in by all accounts, just a tremendous, passionate, creative guy um who was absolutely beloved within wrestling and within his family yeah. unit and we send our most sincere
1: condolences it's, um to those. We're in it, aren't we? Like he's thirty six. He thirty six, he had children and you just we can speak to that experience directly and the how that would even resonate, I guess. You so can't register him. it's just it's that like that is absolutely tragic. Like there was a point where I think tragedy uh, was so attached to wrestling that everybody became numb to it and it's something i realized was that the and this is a you know a good thing ultimately the number of wrestlers where you would hear where you would have to say tragedy or there would be a, yet another story of a wrestler in the 30s passing away that has thankfully dropped off to suggest that like the passage of time has helped and the industry maybe has changed its ways somewhat from the like the 80s and the 90s and the excess and things like that uh and then a story like this comes along and reminds you that it doesn't even need to be related yeah. to the, like he's had this job this incredibly Like remarkable and weird and difficult job, but then he passes away in tragic circumstances like this, and it's a thirty-six-year-old dad. Yeah, that's what it is—a husband, a dad, and a brother and a son. And it's like it's it's a reminder, I think, of um, how awful this sort of thing can be. Um, In contrast, I know, like it's in contrast to it's been a difficult week. The Terry Funk news shook a lot of people, but we sort of spoke. It was all through like fonder tones, wasn't it? Like he'd reached an age in his life and he had this incredible career and Bray Wyatt's life wasn't finished, was it? No. Like 36. No,
2: it's a complete tragedy. But yeah, again, I don't want to dwell on it. But at the same time, I do not want to perform a grift. Um, A lot of people aren't particularly into supernatural wrestling. We would probably count... Well, we would definitely count ourselves amongst that number. But if we subjectively weren't the hugest fans of the genre in which he um, performed... Bray Wyatt, and I wrote this on X, and I think it bears repeating. Um, I think a lot of people's favorite incarnation of the character was the cult leader who emerged in FCW and then NXT mm. and just captured everyone's imagination. Um, it wasn't overtly supernatural um, at the time, and I distinctly remember you hear, particularly before WWE and then subsequently AEW really embraced um, the independent scene, And, you know, there was a a, a high awareness of emerging wrestlers who were generating buzz. Um, It just doesn't really happen anymore. You don't get that one person who's got this ability to conjure such incredible buzz. Because by the time they've done so, you'll have heard of them. They'll have been on, you know, television or whatever. Um, I think Bray Wyatt is one of the last people who's just come out of nowhere. You never really expected Husky Harris. No. Two of under... Gone such a transformation, but when he first appeared as Bray Wyatt and he was cutting those promos with Eli Cottonwood, wasn't mm-hmm. yeah. in the background? It just he absolutely felt like the next big thing. It yeah. cannot be overstated just how much he felt like the next big thing. And so the,
1: it was hard for wrestlers to penetrate that, wasn't it? Though? Yeah, so many like cookie cutter guys. Nobody was getting talked about from the FCW. Oh God, I know. The, the FCW, yeah. even the early NXT, it was near impossible to get into the conversation. Yeah, and he. Like it was on everybody's lips, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember him and Dean Ambrose, and virtually nobody else was generating yeah. conversation because that character was so far removed from what WWE as a company was producing. Yeah, it was his, wasn't yeah, it?
2: Yeah. Absolutely. So, as the cult leader, that was you know the great unfulfilled creative vision for the best version possibly of Bray Wyatt, or at least the one who had the chance to to take the world by storm and what was probably his most undiluted um creative vision. It wasn't rendered hacky supernatural fair on the WWE main roster. It had a chance to work within like the like the normal fictional universe um if you like. And it's known to be, I think, that act as the one ticket to superstardom that it kind of was a superstar, but in terms of a true tippy top main event WWE undisputed legend. And, you know, the, the the rap on Wyatt is that because that was kind of abandoned and mutated on the main roster, that he never fulfilled that sort of projected superstardom. But in a way, he kind of did mm. because he was, in reality, a cult leader. The people who were drawn to Bray Wyatt did so with such belief and such faith yeah. that it's almost a nice... Small good thing at a time like this that he did, he was a cult leader. He was a cult leader in reality. He had such an ability to connect with the people who adored him and they never lost faith. He had various repackages, obviously, um, between 2013 and um, 2022. And all the while, despite people's awareness of the WWE process and you know, the fact that he was probably stigmatized as someone that you know, WWE creative, never really thought of as that ultimate WrestleMania first name in the yeah. main event because he was he held such a grip on the imagination of people who were just so inspired by and, you know, enamored with his work. They never lost the belief in the faith and that speaks to something about how he was able to connect with his public.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, you know, there's more on Bray in the news that's going to be out probably by the time you listen to this. But it occurred to me, like as we were talking about, you know, a bit on legacy and a bit on career and stuff, the like phenomenal success of the White Rabbit campaign last year only happens for somebody like a Bray Wyatt. You can't do a, an idea or a comeback story like that for any old returning superstar. Do you, know, do you know? Yeah, I mean? no, like, you no, yeah. it's not. People uh, never
2: gave up on him. Never.
1: And you just, which like you, that, I know. Like wrestling fans have long memories, and there'll be like people that will like, stand or fight for their favourites to the, the very, very end or whatever. But, yeah, that White Rabbit campaign wasn't just a, oh, like, the last few Bray Wyatt fans can have something to follow through on, like, if you follow an Instagram post or whatever. It was enormous. It was absolutely enormous. It sold a show, pretty much, didn't it? That Extreme Rules card was all about the end of the White Rabbit thing. Bray Wyatt's coming back in. It didn't matter what was on that card. And the pop he generated. It was monstrous. Staggering. And you just like, those specific bits or those ideas... Um, and again, like it's, it does all get sort of mixed up because it's easy to just, like you talk about the cult leader, it's easy to uh, kind of get, remember how that character got so lost and then think oh, that, like, that element didn't really work, that element didn't really work. But people were just willing to wave that away and get invested all over again in something like a investigative viral marketing campaign because they knew it was for him. They simply wouldn't have gone in for that if, if it was, not to denigrate this particular wrestler, but if this was like the Miz coming back. It was like a white rabbit with a Hollywood M on it. You know, that's nice. It's fine. I will just wait for the Mister Showner. Yeah, people could not wait to decode those videos and look for the clues and find the little things that linked to Bray Wyatt's career and his lore or whatever. And I just those characters are like so valuable to WWE, and where sometimes WWE, certainly Vincent McMahon's WWE, never even truly exploited. Yeah, like it's you know we're going to talk about a few things here, and I think the the one thing that sort of is you, like joins a lot of these moments together. Especially because of things that we've earnestly talked about, the things that we liked, again, as you say, there's no sort of grift happening here. A lot of them are Oh, like for five seconds. WWE got it, yeah. Like that's the difference. It's not you're not just looking at characters, best matches or angles. It's more uh, these were the times that like he was actually simpatico with Vince McMahon or Triple H or whoever. And a lot of the time, they just simply were on completely different pages, weren't they?
2: Is Bray Wyatt, and this again, this is a testament to the belief in the faith that he was able to conjure within his fandom, because people were just so desperate for him to succeed within a broken system. Yeah. Is he the most fantasy-booked wrestler ever?
1: Yeah, he must be. He must be. People fantasy-booked his entire career based on he was The Undertaker's replacement. So that was the was the career they were basically planning on him wasn't it like this guy's had this 30 year run as this mythical figure and we want him to be the next one Thought so that was the weight of expectation on a Bray Wyatt um, yeah whether it was matches whether it was storyline ideas like fantasy booking implies a, a match or angle you desperately want to see a lot of people were trying to
2: Manifest all put this. Retroactively
1: like, put things that they'd seen that wasn't even part of the story, but something that they believed in. So you would get a Twitter thread or you would get two side-by-side images or videos, you know, that we probably would have, like, ribbed a bit at the time, but the the point was, like, Christ, they'd thought enough about how you could tie this to this if you wanted, WWE. Fans giving the company yeah. free hits to try and make this make a bit more sense. It's, you know, it's the stuff... I don't, I don't mind saying it, It's the stuff you have a bit of fun with at the time. But in a time of reflection like this, it does remind you, like, the power those bits held in people's hearts. And, like, the merchandise, not to be glib about it, he was the top seller for a reason. Whenever he was around. People loved this performer. That is literally buying in, isn't it? People
2: loved this performer. They were desperate to see him succeed. They had unwavering belief and faith. I keep going back to those two words because it was just completely... Like, fundamentally true. The most fantasy-booked wrestler ever. People were just desperate to see him succeed. Considering that, for the vast majority of his career, Bray Wyatt played a heel. Mm. And save for a, you know, monumental missed opportunity that we will cover uh, deeper into this podcast where there was a time for him to turn and everyone was desperate for him to turn. And then, yes, he kind of played babyface, um on his return last year as well and like the number that he generated for that quarter hour for his first appearance yeah. like in an indirect very very indirect way he was one of the biggest baby faces of his generation because people the whole idea of a baby face is that they're meant to inspire a belief within the fandom and is there anyone in WWE for that sustained period they just never stopped believing in it's just bizarre that they never went with him as a baby face if you look at it indirectly that ability to just have a chokehold over the public it, it just it's a career full of missed opportunities
1: yeah the um, we always looked at the Especially in the Vince years, the later Vince years, we looked at a lot of it as a protest vote, didn't we? Like Daniel Bryan's the obvious one, but there were other examples. Like they're gonna fans are gonna show you who they care the most about through protest and through booing your booing your Roman Reigns project and cheering whoever's he's up against. It, you never think about the Bray stuff in terms of a protest, and you know, like your story about New Orleans speaks to this. But, well, we're going to talk yeah, about that imminently. People aren't engaging as a form of protest, but they're engaging in spite of the fact the company aren't giving you him, they're not giving you the best version of him, and they are engaging as if he's being pushed as the top star. Yeah, They're turned out in the droves as if he, if he was The Rock, and Steve Austin or whatever, even when, month after month and show after show, he wasn't really presented as such. You couldn't tell them that. Yeah, absolutely
2: not. So, yeah, before we talk about his career highlights, just a personal anecdote, and um, I've said this a lot of times um, on podcasts over the years, but I just got married to my uh, wife in September 2013, and we had this agreement where we're not going to try and have children for two years. We're going to live a nice, go to work, have all of this disposable income, well not loads of it, but all the disposable income we can have. We are just going to have a nice, easy lifestyle for two years where we can just, do you want to go for a meal tonight? I'd like a pretty nice place. Yeah, like, go on then. we will go for a city break do you want to go for another nice meal? Do you <laughs> want to go to a gig? Do you want to go to the cinema? Like these things that you just, you don't really have the time or the money for when you have children. And then she decided she wanted to get in sooner than that. <laughs> went, All right, okay, okay. How can I, you know, wrestling has taught me to be like a, a carny. Yeah. So how can I get something from this? I was like, All right, okay. Well, how about we wait six months and if I can go to WrestleMania, so it's like a bucket list thing that it's incredibly difficult. Like, I've been since then, but, you know, yeah. I've got this incredibly fortunate um life, which, again, you just appreciate all the more it, at a time like this. Especially
1: larger than life in the UK, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's rooted in why we're trying to get across how big Wembley is. It's yes. When you watch WrestleMania all those years over here, you look at it being like, that is on another I need one. to go yeah. on it. It's I not just promotion ocean. I need to be in it. I yeah. don't
2: care what the card looks like. I just need to be in it. So I needed to be in it just once. Um, So I was like, can we go to WrestleMania before we do this? And... She was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a trip to New Orleans, like a really ultimate yeah. holiday destination. So it was WrestleMania thirty. And I bought the ticket September, October. I knew that Bloom was off the road with the Daniel Bryan thing. Um, but I just knew he was going to get something quite big. Mm. And I was like, that is big because I was a mass I'm a massive Danielson fan. So I thought, right, okay, let's go over. Um and we went and it was the yes movement, and it was a time of the last time maybe I think even at the time I thought this is not going to fundamentally change. But a lot of people did think that. So it was a celebratory party atmosphere. It really could not have been held in a more fitting location mm. than like Bourbon Street, New Orleans, like a time of renewed optimism and hope. And, you know, there's this, you know, the tale of uh, the miracle of Bourbon Street. And I'm not downplaying that. It was, he was everywhere. People were shouting, shouting, yes in the street, like yeah. genuinely drunkenly in jubilation. I tell no lies when I say that, hence the incredibly tortured introduction to this podcast. There were so many people who'd gone to the effort and expense of dressing up in Bray Wyatt cosplay with the hat and the Hawaiian shirts and the vests. You would think he was main eventing that show. Yeah, It was unbelievable how over Bray Wyatt was in early 2014. And again, that's testament to the character because they botched his launch yeah. with that terrible match with Kane. And the ostensible relegation that was Bray Wyatt, Daniel Bryan, and CM Punk was, oh, you can do some stuff in the upper mid-cop. We've got Cena and Orton yeah. to look out for him. We've got Batista coming back. Again, these WWE fans, these huge Bray Wyatt fans, could not be told that he wasn't the one. Mm. It was an absolutely massive thing. Just a touch on his 2014 and um, that was probably the high mark They're probably the high point of his entire run there were obviously more moments that we will cover but if you just think about his um 2014 the John Cena feud was pretty disastrous for his career prospects and there was a lot of very very hokey stuff that last man standing match with John Cena wait, was it was a payback
1: yeah it would have been i think cuz backlash was the f- steel cage so he had the steel cage one and it then- was a- yeah, Pay-per-view can, yeah. in
2: uh, post-WrestleMania. The last man's standing match was great. And before he um, had the John Cena program, the absolute best of Bray Wyatt, for me at least, just a subjective opinion, were those six mans. Yeah. Those six mans between the Wyatt family and the Shield. Again, by 2013, I kind of knew what was up with WWE. But there was still optimism and When you watched those electrifying, like that Elimination Chamber Six Man, was just out of this world. It was absolutely incredible stuff. You thought you were watching the future of the industry. Yeah, that it felt special, and it wasn't just the feeling; it was the action was out of this world as well. It was just one of the true great things WWE did deliberately.
1: I couldn't believe that time period. There was three of them, and there was three of the other guys, and there were the two Hawks, and they were actually putting them against each other. I couldn't believe they were doing it. It would have been very WWE to put one on Raw and one on SmackDown and keep them as far apart as possible and never really give you the match. And it'd be... So you point about fantasy booking earlier on, it has been a match graphic. But like my thing about the horsewomen never facing, it's just like, they're not going to do it, are they? They're just yeah. not going to give you it. Like, I couldn't believe that the Shield and the Wyatts were facing. And then I couldn't believe how good it was. Because neither... You know, to talk about the Wyatts' as faces or heels was quite it's quite tricky, isn't it? As you say, like, there's... The character was... Fluid, but not necessarily for always the best reasons. Yeah. But the S.H.I.E.L.D. at that point was still the henchmen of the authority. So they were ostensibly heels, but they were awesome. So you were going to have crowds that were loving them as well. So it wasn't, for W. it wasn't grabby, was it, in the way that presented the characters? It was like, you can kind of like or hate these guys whatever you want. You can if you're white. So one people, time
2: they said that, and it was true.
1: Yeah, if you're white people, great. If you want to turn up in your shield, flat jacket, it's awesome. Cheer and root for your favorites and watch them fight. Felt huge. It felt huge. Felt special. It felt
2: like they're like state of the art, like promising, like every positive adjective you can think of at the top of your head, you can attach. That match, the, the special the dream of
1: the six young guys all getting over at once together, the yeah. Whole, like in a company that desperately needed loads, and it's like his six
2: exciting, promising, state of the art, like incredible, yeah. Like those matches were unbelievable, like absolutely unbelievable. And then the remainder of 2014 happened. Um, there was more was it the um Hell in a Cell with her sister Abigail deals, and then the, the I'm ghost, the and yeah, just the. The really hacky, overt theatrics of the supernatural that, you know, we'll never, you know, sadly get the chance to um, pick Bray Wyatt's brain on this. But the fascination of where did his vision end in Vince McMahon's vision begin? Mm. You'd like to think, given everything you knew about Bray Wyatt's creative vision in the original NXT, that maybe he rolled his eyes at half of the stuff the very Vincian yeah. um prop heavy theatrics that he was sort of weighed down by heavily um in twenty fourteen and then twenty fifteen happened. He lost to the Undertaker and WrestleMania 31. And that was just the almost incontrovertible it was evidence, but it might as well have been incontrovertible proof that he is, you know, underneath that yeah. top top cavalcade of stars, if he's losing to The Undertaker and they don't believe in him enough to put him over and genuinely between 2015 and 2018, that was, it was just a lot of terrible creative and that faith did get dented a little bit. Um, Then he came back as The Fiend, but there's a certain moment that you think is one of the best modern WWE spots ever and yet again, we go back to this this phrase, a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, it's not a hot take and I think people probably know as we're talking about this here what I'm even going to say used to put it over all the time the point towards Roman Reigns to spear Sheamus as Roman and Bray this is right off the anyone but you Roman Bray Wyatt mantra they've kind of enforced the team together for one night they've been through all these wars but they're going to be baby faces just to take down the league of nation losers and they do it of course they do it with ease but it's right after Wrestlemania Bray the context of the Bray Wyatt Undertaker thing if you remember is that Bray had to build that feud by himself yes the Undertaker had gone away having lost the streak and I remember thinking, he's going to beat Taker as well, and they're going to tell a reverse streak story. Yeah. How's The Undertaker going to get his mojo back at Wrestle? And they didn't. It was done and dusted, as you say. And then he has this one night where it feels as if, well, here comes the babyface turn. He's done everything he can as a heel. He's lost his big match to The Undertaker, and he's, like, parking his prior philosophies on Roman Reigns, on the dark side and all of that, and he's going to start, like...
3: a try it's entirely online designed to be convenient flexible and best of all suited to your schedule get it off your chest with better help visit betterhelp.com slash what culture today to get 10 percent off your first month that's better help h-e-l-p.com slash what culture in the light and using for want of a better phrase
1: like using his powers for good and there's the start of it, you know, like directing Roman Reigns. It's a really iconic shot in an era where WWE created zero, yeah, like absolutely zero of them, and that's why you see it shared so much. Um, and then he got injured, I think, if I remember correctly, and it was just really unfortunately timed. And it was one of them things. It's WWE; you can you could never trust them to pick something up one week to the next, let alone when somebody was getting injured and taken off television. And then he did come back, and the kind of the babyface turn was. Just parked, really. Like, then it was... If he was cheered, it was only because fans liked him, not because the character was over. If you remember the Survivor series, when he did return, they were beaten by the Undertaker and Kane. The Wyatts, again. It was just like, right, here's well, you.
2: basically, mid-90s monsters
1: of the week at yeah, this point. here's your top tier, like, spooky and dark characters. Here's your guys that we can beat. Um, one that we didn't talk about before we came in, but it is from this era, and I just think, oh, maybe that's more of, like, an outlier than I gave it credit for. I... Didn't mind the early stages of Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. It got too silly too quickly, but with him, the three with the three of them with Luke Harper, it was good stuff. Orton logically trying to oust Harper from Bray Wyatt's side to beat Bray Wyatt after he'd lost to him. Oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to out clever this guy that plays mind games. And briefly, I like people Rand- were mad into this. I like Orton and Wyatt at the same time. Yeah. How has this happened? And then, I mean. You know, House account, of Horrors. Descends into parody. Maggots on the projected onto the canvas. And rightly or wrongly, that is how that story is remembered. But if you look at that sort of October, November, I'm not trying to be like an engagement Twitter account, but like late 2016 16 SmackDown Live. If you look at Orton and Wyatt's contributions to that, it's decent stuff. It feels, re- feels real. Like Wyatt isn't trying to magic power Randy Orton into making choices. They're just working tags together and starting to get along.
2: Again, despite all reason the faith and the belief again going back to this cult leader conceit i guess um they wanted him as a top guy he was the top guy for again a brief while on the most acclaimed main roster product between 2001 and 2022 that's not unreasonable
1: that people loved that 2016 smackdown live yeah it was it like and he anchored it yeah, that, if that run of SmackDown turned out to be a tactical thing, didn't to try and ensure it could get TV right and it got the billion dollar deal? Yeah. So it was a proven success story ultimately that period. Pete, as you say, got critical acclaim. It's just, hey, he won the belt in that time. And I remember, like, we were working together when Bray Wyatt won the title, and neither of us were Bray Wyatt guys, but... It felt like something, didn't it? Like, it felt like vindication for these fans that we speak yeah. of, for these devotees. Like, I don't know how this title reign's going to go, but just the image of him winning the title in that chamber sticks with you, because it felt like it was this overdue, hard-earned thing. There wasn't. It wasn't a character thing, was it? You're like, well, Wyndham Rotunda's holding that belt. Yeah. And he's inspired enough people that it's about time he got his turn with it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There was a, we should say, there was a a babyface turn of sorts, when he was uh, associated with uh, Matt Hardy. And they were the other tag team champions. Yes. But I think at this point, people, you know, I'm not saying that these Bray Wyatt fans and you know are like deluded or anything. I don't want to ever say that. Um I've met a lot of them and they're really nice. Yeah. And remind me to pick that up later if I don't, if I forget. Um but I think by that point there was an awareness that it was almost like comedic. And we'll yeah. get to that as well because I think that was his best skill. Um but then realistically, between 2015 And 2018, there was a lot of bad creative. There was a lot of, you know, jokes at the the character's expense. And then it got so bad and the stigma attached to Bray Wyatt had become so pungent that they had to completely repackage him. Yeah. And that leads to 2019. The Firefly Funhouse, the first Big repackage of Bray Wyatt's career again. Like, the stigma associated with the Bray Wyatt character by this point was so bad that they had to get a cardboard cutout of him and the Leatherface smock, which was, again, another misinterpretation of what Bray Wyatt, I think, wanted to be because it was just patchwork quilt of horror cliché. Yeah. Like, you can be dressed like Leatherface this week or whatever. And then he became the Fiend. But before that, and this is... Possibly the easiest part of this podcast for me. And it's a you know, it's a really horrible podcast to do. I earnestly thought those Firefly Funhouse vignettes were so inspired and so funny. Like the first muscle man dance one, I remember in the office we were giddily laughing at it. Yeah. And in on the joke. And we again, we like to be the cynical guys. We don't like to be, but we are. And uh, we've lived through enough. WWF, WWE, to realise that, you know, under the Vince regime, particularly at the end, you're not going to get what you want. Yeah. This character, the Mr. Rogers Wyatt, with the muscle man dance and how funny that was, we
1: thought, this is it. Mm-hmm. He's got his ticket, he's punched it now. Yeah, couldn't miss. Like, the made me f- somehow fall in love with Bruce Pritchard all over again, because I'm kind of watching this going, man, the Fed's back. This is, how, this is what WWE is supposed to be. The best WWE is sports entertainment, it's not wrestling, it's something else. And the one that sticks with me, well, the feeling that sticks with me, because you remember feelings, I think, as much as you remember the actual segments themselves. But the, uh, do you remember the early 5-5 five, Funhouse five ones, where Bray would tell, tell a joke, and then the children's laughter would be slightly delayed, and Bray would look off camera to nobody in particular. And the kids that were laughing felt like, Ghosts. Yes, they were, like, it was, there was actually really quite unsettling. Unique production yeah. choices yeah. because you were like, how much do they want you to know that the there's a scary monster lurking beneath this? And until you got actual full frontal flashes of the fiend, and you were told to get ready for whatever the hell the fiend was going to be, you were just you were forced to kind of dare I say it, look for clues. You were forced to like actually think about right, how scary is this going to be? and they were really well shot and really well thought through, and Bray measured how intimidating that Mr. Rogers' character had to be there. The way in which he would um, do that thing with his face, where his smile, when his eyes are, like, wide and gleeful, his smile is so warm, and then he kind of pivots into a frown, and his smile, his lips haven't changed shape, but suddenly He's a good actor. Yeah, like, a great facial actor for that specific kind of character. And, uh... Yeah, super effective. And I mean, I'm sure, I feel like we're in all in the office together for this. And if we weren't, that's a Mandela effect because I just remember how much we couldn't wait to all share our enthusiasm. i would got to take us to the debut with a Fiend against Finn Balor. Yeah. A modern WWE masterclass, that
2: whole thing. That whole thing was a masterclass. But before we get on to the SummerSlam 2019 um, thing, and I've got a tweet as well from my archives. Um, what the Firefly Funhouse indicated to me is that Bray Wyatt, a lot of people think, you know, Supernatural Wrestling's not particularly great. Was he ever a particularly scary character? Um, did he have that presence? I thought a lot of the Firefly Funhouse stuff was genuinely really funny, and I got Bray Wyatt truly on the main roster for the first time because I thought, this man's genuinely funny and he's got a skill, and maybe this is the medium to which he's best suited. Yeah. But going on to SummerSlam, okay. Again, I don't want to belabor the point. I don't want to make this about me and my perception of Bray Wyatt. I just want to be candid about it. Um, when he made that entrance, the symbolism of the the lantern was such a grotesque design. Yeah. And again, it was yet another elbow in the ribs. Forget about the old Bray Wyatt. You didn't. He you went off him. We treated him terribly as a character. We're going to cut his head off and put it around a lantern. And then the genuinely unsettling, harsh music. The Finn Balor actually selling fear of the fiend in contrast to Seth Rollins, he believed it. Yeah, because look at this presentation. It was so expensive. It was so well done. It genuinely felt massive. It felt like you know, it felt like you know as big as WrestleMania
1: can be. Mm. It felt like that, but it's SummerSlam, I d- I d- never know the correct media terms for this but they were constantly fading to incomplete diagonal shots rather than giving you a straight-up look at the Fiend. You know how, like, the more chance you've got an opportunity to look at the monster, the less scared you are of it. Yes. They never allowed you to look at him. That whole entrance, the way they cut around, actually getting one full shot of the Fiend head-to-toe, you can't get it, and you need it because you need to feel settled and you need to feel comfy, but they don't want you to. They want you to feel as scared as Finn Balor looked. They're like, yeah. You're doing that thing where you're watching a flat image on the television and you're trying to, like when kids play computer games, trying to peer around corners. It's like, I, just, I need to see a bit more of this character. I need to see a bit more of The Fiend because I don't want to feel on edge. He's got me on edge right now. And they even thought about that. And it didn't, I don't know. Maybe it was destined to, like, find quite a quick expiration point, perhaps. Like, that was expedited by the fact that this. Killer Clown wanted to win the WWE title. It's really It reminds you that it's really hard to fold it into what we're all supposed to be here for. And you ideally don't want to be reminded of that one month after the character has debuted. But in that moment, you kind of forgot those um, those potential problems and those potential speed bumps. You swept and, up in it. Yeah, you would just start I, I really wish I could get a clear shot of this character because he's, he's kind of frightening. Yeah. And then the moves. Bray Wyatt was never a moves guy. Uh, and nor should he have needed to be, by the way. But that was the first time that his... Not limited, that's not fair. His particular offensive oh, skills yes. were best used because he looked like he was out there to break Finn Balor's neck and kill him yes. in the context of a pro wrestling match. And that was all that you ever needed from a character like that? Yeah, absolutely. I can't
2: find the tweet, um, but I distinctly remember watching SummerSlam 2019 and, you know, the song, the jingle for the Firefly Funhouse vignette was this is a friendship that will never ever end. I was so blown away by the Fiend's original presentation. It's SummerSlam 2019 that I tweeted. I can't freaking find it. This is a mark out that will never, ever end. I was <laughs> literally marking out, bro. I just thought it was an incredible presentation. And then Seth Rollins thing happened. The Hell in a Cell thing happened. He got jobbed out to Goldberg with like a suplex masquerading as a jackhammer. And then that was it. Terrible. The whole thing's finished. And then the pandemic output the storyline with Alexa Bliss, that I genuinely think that, I don't even think they knew the implications of what they were doing when they were writing it. In between all of that, the best thing, in my opinion, ever associated with Bray Wyatt, and one of the best things I've ever seen at a WrestleMania, out of all WrestleMania's 36, (laughs) was the Firefly Funhouse match. Um, If I can find it, um, in the What Culture Archives, I will, and I've got a terrible memory. You know, all you all know this if you if you're long term regular listeners. I wrote a two thousand five hundred word editorial on what I honestly, earnestly, no hyperbole, thought was the genius of the Firefly Funhouse match. I thought it was incredible. I will try and link it if I remember to the podcast below. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was. You probably remember it. If you can't, it was a visual journey into the horrible but never revealed or exposed psyche of bad person John Cena, or bad character John Cena, yeah. um, where he was kind of like a homophobic bully, where he was holding people back. He didn't really sell for them. He was what just, if he turned heel? What if he turned heel? What if he and was stuff. the heel all along? And I just couldn't believe how bold it was. Yeah. I couldn't believe that WWE echoed back my sentiments of the John Cena character. It was like his moment as the dweller on the threshold, to use a Twin Peaks reference, <laughs> where he faced his shadow self and he got defeated by him because he was a terrible character. It was such a well-done visual... I just can't, they had no right to make it feel like a WrestleMania. This visual stunning feast, this incredibly bold story...
1: I don't know how they did it, but they did it, and it was fantastic. One of the weirder culture wars in recent memory was those of us trying to fight for the Firefly Funhouse being better than the, uh, the, the Boneyard, the Boneyard yeah. match, because it was like, one was a bit of fun. This was something else. This it was, was, it was something It was unbelievable. The, and as well, like we talk about like the, the failure to preserve the Fiend in such a short space of time, how with the casting of this spell, they'd done it again because you only see the fiend at the very very end when John Cena is beaten and broken and it's like now he's come face to face with the thing that's going to put him down like the way they use the fiend is fantastic he's not been needed for the duration of this dreadful journey that John Cena has been on and then he beats him at the end because at this point there's nothing left to beat in John Cena yeah. like an incredibly selfless thing by Cena to do that and in, and like sort of really enter into the spirit of but it was it should have been again in a competent sort of setup it should have been, we should have been talking about that as like one of the greatest character rehabilitations ever because on the night that's what it felt like. Oh, yeah, it was gone again as quick as it was there. It's funny when I think back about how between that and Stadium Stampede being a month apart, I distinctly remember thinking maybe like wrestling's loose rules are going to make these pandemic spectacles pretty fun, and then they just gradually got sadder. And then and we sadder. all got sadder it was like, right, oh, yeah, no, it turns out that like everybody's creative juices were flowing in the early days, and then we all just Got used to the grim reality of it, but those first two examples stick out to me. I think it's poignant that they were so early in the pandemic because they were the real escapes. They were the moments where you were finally, where wrestling was doing the one thing that, if it should even exist at all in 2020, that was what it was actually doing, was helping you forget and just believe in these characters and the things they were doing. I'll
2: be candid, I was deeply depressed during the initial stages of uh, the pandemic, like really, really, really worn down
1: by it. It was difficult. Like I again, like people had it far worse than me. Um, I'm an idiot I man. I was like, I was kind of like fighting back tears watching the WrestleMania and the performance center because I was looking at it being like, well, this is like, my favorite thing, and it's and it's gone. Yeah, it's a stupid thing to cry about. In in hindsight, yeah, it was very, it was a emotionally difficult thing to be like, oh right, Every, everything is. We're in real trouble, eh? We're in real trouble. We're in real trouble. I hated it. I felt there was no like, you know, the cliche, the light at the end
2: of the tunnel. I just could not see it. I was almost, I can see why people get like, you know, taken in by misinfo and all the rest of it because yeah. I was honestly Googling anyone's vaguely, vaguely optimistic um, takes on, I oh, you know this is why it might not last that long. Yeah. I was prepared to believe any old bollocks. I could felt myself getting sucked in because I just needed an escape from like genuinely like an absolutely horrible period. And I don't want to, you know, again, like I really don't want to do the whole woe was me thing. People had it far worse than I did. And I was lucky enough to do this dream job throughout it. And a lot of people couldn't work. A lot of people sat in WWE. I just distinctly remember where like thankfully because my wife works in a lab and she didn't have access to it. Um, That lab closed, and they were basically told, you know, just do a lot of reading and research papers, but we understand that you've got responsibilities and you can't really do anything. So Francis had um, the the task of, you know, looking after the kids. So I went upstairs dutifully to do my job, and I didn't have a desk. We have a three-bedroom home. There is no study in there. So I just, again, it's a horrible memory for me, other people had it worse, of um, a kitchen chair on like a really sort of twee sort of dressing table (laughs) that I had had to repurpose as a desk that was really low down. My back was killing. I didn't want to write about anything. Oh, it's the 10 best matches ever. Let's go and research them. Oh, this crowd's having fun. I can't watch this. I cannot. I'm so sad. And there were two moments that I remember. There's a song by um, a guy called Eves Tumor that was on Six Music. And I, th- I would start dancing around it. The- I was like, oh, my God, Joy. <laughs> I remember that. I was listening to Six Music and this song. I just, I was, oh, God, that made me sad.
1: Yeah. that was. I remember music making me, like, the euphoria, the drop from the euphoria was too hard. Oh, God, I So I stopped know. listening to the things that got me as high yeah. as I could because I couldn't take the aftermath. I
2: couldn't take the drop. The only time, other than, you know, I, I did think AW did some great stuff. Yeah. One of the like the few times I remember thinking, I cannot wait to write. I cannot wait to cannot wait to work. I cannot wait to watch this again. I am passionate about something. Was that Firefly Funhouse in the in the editorial I wrote about it because it just touched me? And one more thing before we move on, um, towards a conclusion to this podcast. There's a you know, when people say WWE, cinema, it's a meme. Yeah. It's a punchline. Um they do the story where Bray Wyatt is sort of like pecking at and unpicking, unspooling the psyche of John Cena, and you get this shot of John Cena literally punching down at Huskis, the yeah. pig boy, with the chocolate round his mouth. And the way that he's put literally punching down, it's like, how the hell, WWE, have you done good shot composition? Yeah. It was just a, st- a staggering feat.
1: Cena is ready, ready to violently kill yet another career, effectively yes. through his punching down, through his methods that have served him so yeah. well. And, and no one else, right? Really, no yeah. one else. You
2: had to be a big shot to stand a chance of not getting eaten alive yeah. by John Cena. Um, I generally thought that was a masterpiece. And if that is the one contribution, there was always the question, is Bray Wyatt truly a creative genius? Who was thwarted by the broken system in which he was unfortunate to, to break through to. Um, that match indicated to me that man was very, very intelligent and he really, really had something that, again, that WWE system just could not do anything with. Um, and, you know, it's the Bray Wyatt story. He does that. He does some of the worst things I've ever watched as a wrestling fan during the pandemic. Yeah, he was scripted to do this as they are all to do. And then he comes back after being released in the summer of 2021 in 2022 with uncle howdy the story with la night and we know who got over it as a result it really didn't work but the one thing that i guess we'll leave on at this point um other than we'll say more condolences at the end is that pop that he got at extreme rules people were talking about it not in bad faith in the same reverent tones as the John Cena come back at Money in the Bank 2021 yeah. uh-huh. and the first dance that that's how loud that pop was that was the echo that was the proof of the faith and belief that the Bray
1: Wyatt fans had in this character yeah it was i you know for years of both of us and like we've talked about them one by one by one basically the moments in which we felt something for Bray Wyatt versus the like months and years that we we didn't really as a as a character uh that week, the Extreme Rules match and the SmackDown that followed it up, I was kind of all in, and it was really sad to watch the mechanism turn in again and the two sides, the, the Bray White and the WWE sides, never really coming together. And I think it's been really, like, a lot of them said it at the time, but in a lot of the tributes that various colleagues and people that have worked with Bray talk about was that his, like like, they're the ones that are best place to say that he was a creative genius or he was, like, marvel to work with because even when you weren't seeing it if they were believing it it's there's got to be some truth to it isn't it they were they worked in that system as well they knew where it was flawed or where i've got this really brilliant idea where you can do half of it you can do this half-baked version because we need to sell t-shirts or belts or whatever yeah I need to please the old man yeah exactly always came back to that audience i one. i wonder what the potential would have been with him in like in this in this WWE. i do wonder i don't know. We won't, you know we'll never know like, we'll never know sadly i don't know what the i don't know what the evidence was supplying in early 2023 but you'd have to assume that they probably would have got there eventually you know i don't know i don't know very sad it is it's incredibly sad
2: um yeah bray Wyatt passes away at no age at 36 um leaves behind um a partner four children uh bereaved family bereaved wrestling community. Um I hope that Hamlet myself have done his legacy justice. I hope we've done so in a candid and sincere way and again our thoughts are with everyone affected by just horrendous horrendous <laughs> news and you know we're not going to do the subscribe bit, you know you can do that if you want. Um instead we're going to ask you to um underneath the Twitter uh, link to this podcast if you've somehow endured the last however many months of this app or indeed years okay. um your favorite bray wyatt memories um it's a day of grieving but it's a day of celebrating um a very complicated legacy and yeah talk about it in the comments below well, um,
1: doesn't hurt does it like WWE have said that all the proceeds from all of his merch now are going to go directly to the family yes so if you're a, If you're a Bray fan and all of that stuff is out there and you want to buy it and you want to remember and all that sort of stuff, know that your money's going to the best
2: possible cause. cause. The best possible cause. Uh, Yep, don't need you to follow me on Twitter. So we're just going to say one more thing, and that is our condolences once more to those affected directly and indirectly fans, friends, family. um, Our deepest condolences and rest in peace.